three, two, one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and the pressure's back. <laughs> <laughs> and we're on. So, yeah, uh, I guess welcome back to just a review of the last seven chapters of the Luke challenge. It has been a challenge for me, for sure, to keep up. Um, I did say I was going to be doing those lives on Instagram at noon and that I fell off the bandwagon there just because my week kind of got crazy. Um, but I do intend to do those somehow, whether it's a live live or pre-recorded because it, yeah, I need to do those. But, um, so last week we did just review the first few chapters this week we're doing chapters five through no not five right four through three through nine three through nine yeah, yeah it's a it's a long <laughs> it's a long section so what we're going to do is instead of just going straight through and doing like a review of like the entire thing we'll do a review of each chapter i guess like a short mm-hmm. review and things that stood out and um kind of what we're learning looking at it um trying to look at it with fresh eyes so yeah alika this was your challenge to us so get us started all right well let me tell you it's it's definitely a challenge um you know that's why they call it a challenge it's it's to challenge you to do something out of your norm so for me I, I was reading through my Bible and then times I would listen to it on audio or go on my Bible app. So it was definitely harder this time around. There was a lot more uh, chapters, but it's, it's rewarding to, even if you miss days, which I missed a couple, like to come back and to like get that summary and you, you feel kind of good about yourself. So, so where we left off was um, Luke chapter three, we started the next day. And that was the, okay. So that one goes like 15 years or something into the future. Like from where we left off where Jesus was like a 12 year old, he's 30. He's like 30 at that time. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So John, it starts with John. He's um, baptizing people in the Jordan river. Um, I picked that up, which reminds me of the Michael, Michael Jackson song. Is that where, like he references that in his song, right? The Jordan river. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> like pop culture. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So um, I highlighted a verse that stood out to me um, in this, in chapter three. It was when I believe it was the people that he was baptizing. Um, they were kind of asking him, the Israelites, I believe, they were okay. asking like, you know, what do we do when, uh, cause he was giving, he was teaching repentance and like forgiveness. So they were like, well, what do we do? Um, how do we, how do we do this? So he quoted in, in verse in Luke three, let's see, I think this is 11 or yeah, 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one, with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So he, puts it like in pretty simple context. And that stood out to me because I was like, oh, like that's something I can use in my everyday life. You know, just if I have trouble, like where's my starting point again? Oh, that person needs help. I could give them food or, you know, what can I do that I have something uh, that someone might not have and kind of like share that. 
So yeah. that that's something that stood out to me. Um, I highlighted it and it was just, it was just like a, a good theme of that, like chapter three for me, like for that whole chapter. Um, I th- Yeah, I think that's the main thing that stood out to me too. Yeah. Um, because he, the message is very simple. Like we think of it like, yeah, it's repentance for forgiveness of sins and they're baptizing kind of a symbol of like, you're joining this new movement of people who are attempting to live differently. Mm-hmm. And the main concept is, you know, it's basic. Like if you have two coats, like give, share, share with one who doesn't have any, and if you have food, share it with people who, you know, who don't have any as well. Um, and, you know, tax collectors came to him to be baptized and they were like, you know, don't collect more than you're authorized to do. Like, don't cheat people out of their money. Uh, with soldiers, he basically said the same thing. Don't like cheat money, cheat people out of their money. Don't like extort people uh, because, I mean, that, that might have been a common practice because they had the power to do so. Um, yeah. So it it gives this sense that like one of the main different that one of the main things that made this movement different was the concept of like generosity mm-hmm. and kindness which i think are very like important to christmas to begin with so kind of yeah. in line with everything <laughs> so yeah, that I, sure. for me that was the main point of chapter three of the message yeah. there there wasn't really that many checks and balances back then, were there? <laughs> like they they could really kind of do whatever they wanted to. I mean, the ones in power. So this was probably very um, re- a good relief to people who may have needed that, you know, extra code or or to not have their money taken like more than they could give at the time. So this was probably just like that domino effect of kindness and and relief to people who may have really needed it just from the people who were there getting baptized yeah. so that's just what I thought who's that stood out right now while thinking about it like oh hey like there's a kind of like a ripple effect you know yeah we, we you talked about check them check the checks and balances it's kind of like we have like laws and policies that prevent people from extorting you like people who collect taxes I don't know the IRS maybe or there's like certain rules that they have to follow um but here it's like it's very like focused on the individual like you make sure you don't do these things even though at that time they were like very easily done and kind of like go unnoticed Mm -hmm. I think there's a sometimes it's like um a thought of like oh if we had more rules that people would be better which yes there's truth to that but here it's like no like if people's hearts actually changed and repented and started living the way God wanted them to do, then we wouldn't have a need for these things. Yeah. It's like attacking it at the root rather than attacking it at like the level where it's actually starting to affect people. So that's, yeah, I, I just thought that was like one of those key things of like the new movement, the new message yeah. that, that, that John the Baptist was starting or beginning yeah so we have that Mm -hmm. we have a genealogy where yeah (laughs) that name thing (laughs) which is cool it's good for like it's history so 
you know, it goes all the way back up to, does it go to Adam? thought it did this is where yeah it says uh verse 23 jesus when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age which is what you were saying mm -hmm. it was like it skipped about 15 years yeah. or so um my bible says being the son and then quotes or uh parentheses as was supposed of joseph mm. um yeah so it was thought of joseph right and the son of he lied the son of this person the son of this person the son of that mm -hmm. just all the way back long family tree <laughs> long family tree connecting him all the way back to adam and himself or adam yeah and then the son of god mm -hmm. yeah those okay. are always cool <laughs> <laughs> so i mean one one you could say yeah that's historical but two, what's what is it actually saying about Jesus? It's like it's kind of like people suppose that he was simply just the son of Joseph, which the story was like not really, but that's what people believed or thought. But in reality, even if you go down that route of he was just human, like even that means he's still the son of God in a mm -hmm. sense. It's kind of like saying like there's a human side of him. Of course. Yeah, I was thinking like it it shows that. But then when you think about Jesus, you're like, oh, the son of God, but this is just like that almost like I don't know, like the earth, the earthly part of him, the human, it just really like shows that human, like this is how he came about. Like you, you know, you had to go through the, through this and it 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 shows all these different you know guys on the way so yeah there's funny a lot enough, more depth to that funny enough i think <laughs> i think biologically that he, he really should have gone with mary's um family tree and not joseph's do that would be so interesting to like just research and make a family tree of that do they like they, i don't you don't see no, that they don't it's just a male that's the funny part because if it was a female i mean mary was the human in the picture mm -hmm. and god like caused her to you know have a baby so technically the family tree of joseph is irrelevant because he wasn't even really like the father <laughs> Yeah. So if you really yeah. want an accurate like genealogy tree, you'd have to look at Mary's, not Joseph's. I would love to see that. I'm gonna write that down because that's something <laughs> I want to like make, like just for my own like interest. Because it's true. You, I mean, I remember reading Genesis, and I there was this family tree as well, and you never think about okay, well, what what about Mary's side? Because that's accurate. Hmm. Love that. Biologically, it makes sense. It does. It doesn't make sense to go through Joseph's. Although culturally, I guess it would make sense to go through Joseph's. Um, yeah. I could see why culturally, but factually. But the, the larger picture here is there's a very human side of Jesus. There's a very divine side of Jesus. It's both God and human. The even the even But the, even the very human side of Jesus, if we trace it back, 
you could trace it back all the way to God, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that is in one way, I think, kind of redeeming because it means also all of humanity can be traced back to God. Yeah. That means you and me and anyone else who's watching or listening. Like, if you trace your genealogy all the way back, you should technically be able to say the same thing. Yeah. It's, that would be... It's kind of a trippy idea, but it's like if you're a human being, you're the son, you're a child, you're either a daughter, or a son, whatever. You're you're a child of God, regardless. Mm-hmm. And there's and an actual like timeline of that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So it's 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 this weird thing, I think, even in Genesis, where like humans are created in the image of God. They're meant to reflect God, and so mm-hmm. to be fully human is to be fully reflecting God. Like that's what you were meant to do. Yeah. And that's what Jesus actually does in the story. But anyway. No, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I glazed over that part for the most for the most of it. But I mean, there's there is depth and there was like some juice to that section. So I appreciate <laughs> you talking on behalf of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in in Luke four, uh this one, I we talked about this. Like it, this is really interesting to me. Um first he goes into the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days fasting and the devil tries testing him. And each time he's like one step ahead of him. I, you know, Jesus is just awesome like that. Like he, he has everything, like he has a rebuttal for everything and he's graceful about it. And, you know, he's just not, the devil's not having any of it from him. So props to him for that. Uh, So that was pretty straightforward, but then what stood to me the most in this chapter was when Jesus gets rejected in Nazareth, right? Because that's his hometown. And it just breaks my heart because thinking about, you know, my hometown, I, I couldn't imagine not ever coming back because it states in, let me see, in my notes, it states that after this rejection, there is no record that Jesus ever returned to Nazareth. Nazareth to minister so Mm. I know that he had an idea that this is going to happen because he even stated in let's see no he even stated in Luke 5 verse 24 no prophet is accepted in his hometown I assure you that there were many with widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. So he brings up the prophet Elijah and he, you know, relates himself to that, that he knows he's not going to be accepted here. And then there was this whole thing about Elijah that he was also like a prophet and he wasn't accepted in his hometown. Was that, is that accurate to say? Because he's relating. In a, in a way, yes, he was, he was, he was living at a time where they didn't like, they didn't like him mm-hmm. where he was from. So like same concept. So to me, it was very, you know, Jesus is lots of things, but like definitely wise to be able to wise and graceful to be able to take that critique from the people who were essentially his own, you know, he was a child going to those temples and, and, talking to teachers and you know learning and and feeling at home there to having to leave essentially and 
not return. So my heart went out to him there. I remember hearing about that as a child and not really thinking too much of it. And now rereading it again and going through the story of Luke, it's, it's a small piece in the span of things, but at the same time, it's pretty big because it's just, you know, it goes back to that was his hometown. And it kind of sets him off to a series of events where he goes to Capernaum, I believe. And he starts like all his, his miracles there. So this was just like one step in the bit in the grand staircase. Um, so for me, that in, in chapter four, that part was pretty epic. Um, I wanted, did I write any, let me see. Yeah, we talk about we talked about this at church actually, right? Yeah, yeah. This were, this is um what we were talking about. So I was like really interested when I was going back and taking my notes. I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, and that he just he didn't go back to to minister there it was. I mean, it 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 was what it was, but it just felt like okay, you know, Jesus, you you got this. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to kill him there, so it's kind of a. Oh yeah, he tried. They were gonna throw him off a cliff, <laughs> and he just like breezed right out of there, just like through the crowd. So, man, there's there's yeah, two cliff there's two cliff situations. One is where he's tempted, and and the devil takes him to a high cliff. But is it a cliff? No, he took him to the top cliff. of a. So maybe not two cliff situations, but two situations where we could have fallen. He could have like been. That could have been it. Yeah. So that was that was one. And then the second one was that moment in Nazareth where he kind of sneaks away somehow. Yeah. It's just um, right here. I like how they say it. Um, they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> so I just you get the sense that he kind of just like <laughs> What was what were we watching? How we were watching this movie? Was it what movie were we watching the other day, the other night with Ryan Reynolds? Oh, oh free guy. Free guy. Was it free guy <laughs> where he just like there's a crowd and he just kind of like punches down? Or what? It was a movie. Was it Don Quixote? It was Don Quixote. <laughs> It was the man who killed Don Quixote. Oh, okay. And there's a scene where he's getting chased or something, and he just kind of like ducks or something, and like the whole crowd just like runs past him, and then he stands yeah. up and just kind of walks away. Yeah, it's the Hobbit. Oh, it was the oh, it's the Hobbit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even think. So the, yeah. in the Hobbit, there's that scene where he ducks and everybody walks right past him. Yeah, I watched I've watched a few movies lately. Uh, each movie takes about three or four nights to watch because of Zoe. But anyway, uh, in The Hobbit, there's that scene, and it made me think about that because I'm like, mm-hmm. he just kind of like ducked, and like in the chaos of everything, he was able to just kind of like walk right out of it, make his exit, <laughs> like just you know, n- no problem. But um, but yeah, that that's the idea. He he was totally rejected there yeah um and so that happens immediately as he begins his ministry he begins preaching essentially saying you know the the message of the kingdom of god like he starts preaching it and then this happens mm-hmm. and then there's chapter five yes his first disciple so this chapter so 
what really stood out to me, because like I'm starting to learn like the names of the, the disciples before they got changed. So Simon to Peter, Levi to Matthew. So in in my in my Bible, it says it mentions Simon. He meets Simon. Um, Simon's the fisherman, I believe. Um, they go to his boat and he's, he's, he tells him to cast his net out to catch. And he's like, oh, we haven't caught any fish all day. And he's like, just do it basically. And so he does. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it says like, it mentioned Simon. Um, and then I turned and let's see. The other boats, okay, and then the other boats come and plenty of fish start coming um, so much into the boats that uh, they're going to sink. And then it says Simon Peter in my Bible. So I was like, huh, is that like when, like, he made that realization that this was like the Messiah and that's why Luke is referring to him as Simon Peter, or I don't know if that was just a coincidence. But does it say, does it say that in your Bible? It's, it mentions Simon, no Peter, and then the miracle or the event happens with the fish, and then it refers to him as Simon Peter. Yeah, it does. I what? I think I think that's that? a good catch. No pun intended. But <laughs> I do think I do think that's a good catch. I, I I did feel it. It was a little awkward when I was reading, but I didn't I didn't really pay much attention to it. But now that you're mentioning it. Mm -hmm. um so uh, this part i think was i think the most interesting part for me for the whole week okay because so yeah let me let me mention a little bit before getting to the simon peter part like mm -hmm. jesus is out uh preaching he first he goes preaching to synagogues in chapter four then chapter five uh it just says on like one time or one occasion while there was a crowd pressing in on him to hear him speak, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats by the lake. And they happened to be Simon's. And the other one was um, uh, John James and John's boat. So they're both out there by the lake. Um, but the fishermen weren't, out, weren't on them anymore. They had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Because they would work at nighttime, which is when they can catch a fish. You can't really catch fish with nets during the daytime because they see them and they swim away. So you get the sense like there's these two boats just kind of like hanging out there. There's no fishermen in them. And Jesus just gets into one of them. <laughs> so Jesus just sees an empty boat. He jumps in and um, he starts speaking to the people from from simon's boat it's kind of like he just commissioned the boat <laughs> um and uh not only does he get into it uh which was simon's he asked simon then to push the boat a little bit away from the land mm -hmm. so like the boat's just a little bit maybe like a few feet into the water away from the land and then he sat down on the boat and he starts teaching the people from the boat. So there's that. There's that idea like Jesus sees an empty boat. He's like, I can use this. I jump in and like the fisherman is watching me. So I'm like, hey, you know, can you push it out a few feet so I can I can speak to them from it? Because you're not going to be using the boat during the daytime. 
Like that's, that was that. Um, so I imagine Simon's like, okay, dude, like, you know, all right, whatever, you know, I'll do it. I'll push the boat out. And when he had finished speaking, then he said to Simon, um, then, you know, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Um, and that's when Simon says, well, we worked all night and we didn't take anything. So you get the idea that they had worked all night. They didn't catch anything. They're just kind of washing their nets. Jesus finds the boat, gets on it, asks them to push away from the land so he can speak to the people. And then after that, he says, okay, you know, go back and fish. Now it's daytime. So fish, you wouldn't fish in the daytime. And so they're kind of like, we tried to fish all night. And you're telling us to go fishing in the daytime. Like that's not going to work. Yeah. But you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> I'll do whatever you say. So mm-hmm. they do. And then they get a huge batch of fish so much that like they had to call in for help and their boats are kind of like so weighed down. They're almost sinking by the time they get to, to yeah. land. And that's when we get the Simon Peter part. It says when they came and filled both boats, uh, so they get all the boats right out of the water or to the shore and then it says but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus's feet saying um go away go away from me or depart from me for i am a sinful man yeah um so two things are going on here that i thought were weird one was that simon peter part was awkward because yeah they're adding the peter part and the second part was it's a miracle and I wouldn't normally expect someone to be like, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. It'd be more like, whoa, that was amazing. Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So one thing I find interesting is that it's when Peter realizes that Jesus is more than just a, another human being. Like, yeah. he's, he's more than what he appears to be. That's when the language changes to Simon Peter. and. I, I say that because in, I believe it's Matthew, and I might be wrong, but I think it's Matthew where Peter, we have the story of how, how Peter's changed, or Simon's name changed to Peter. And in that story, I think it's recorded in two different places, in two different gospels. Jesus asked his disciples, like, who do you say that I am? Or he says, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're this or that, you know, whatever, a great teacher. And then he asks them point blank, like, who do you say that I am? Like, who do you think I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And then Jesus responds, well, that, you know, blessed are you because that wasn't revealed to you. That, like, that didn't come from you. That was revealed to you essentially by my father. And and then now i'm going to tell you who you are and he says you are peter the rock on which i will build my church and at that point so that's the story of how peter's name gets changed it's it's the moment of when peter realizes who jesus is Mm -hmm. and so i like i really like that idea and i've never seen it in luke and even though i saw it i just thought it was awkward but you pointed it out that it's not until the end that it says simon peter at the beginning, it just says Simon. And so there's something about him recognizing who Jesus is that also defines who he is. Yeah. It's like it's like this 
I don't know. It's just like this transformative kind of feel like, yeah. Yeah. And so he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus responds, don't be afraid. And the idea here I thought was cool because I always look at where, where's the grace in the story. And here it's, the idea was sin cannot live in God's presence. Like anything that's sinful in God's presence would die like immediately. Like God, God's presence only resided in the temple in the most holy place. And only once a year did anyone go into God's presence. And even then it was like after much fasting and prayer and like, uh, prayer for forgiveness of sins and all kinds of stuff because if they didn't do that like and they went into god's presence they would die like that was the like the most dangerous place to be a priest at <laughs> it was in god's <laughs> presence so peter must have recognized in his heart this is god mm-hmm. and one is wow but then two is like what are you doing out here I can't be in your presence because I'm a sinful man. Please go away from me. And his Jesus' response is great because he's like, don't be afraid. Like, he like disregards the fear of like, I'm going to die because I shouldn't be in God's presence. And Jesus just says, don't, don't be afraid. From now on, you won't be catching fish anymore. You'll be catching men. And that's how he calls peter and james and john to follow him they they follow him after that i just thought that was in theme with christmas which is the idea that god enters the world in a human form a god that a lot of us still think of like i can't be in the presence of because i'm so sinful or i can't i'm i'm so imperfect i'm unworthy of even praying or even like being God's presence like I'm not like those people I'm not holy enough to be there to go to church or whatever it is but the whole idea is it doesn't matter to God like God's out in the neighborhood (laughs) he's he's walking with you talking with you working with you so it's it's a shift in perspective that I think a lot of us still need to like deal with yeah this whole like I can't talk to God because I'm a horrible person or I've done this and we beat ourselves down. Where in, in reality, God's like, so what? I'm here. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of me. Um, I think there's an approach of like being afraid of God. So like we try to change before we come to God. But what I see here is more of like, recognize how God is with you present now. And that recognition actually begins your own transformation. Just as Simon was a sinful man or just a regular man, just like anyone else, regular human being, he recognizes who Jesus is as God's actual presence. And in that recognition, his transformation begins. Mm -hmm. And you get to know him as Peter. And Jesus says, Simon is a fisherman. Peter simon peter is actually a disciple and you're going to be catching fish you're not going to be catching fish anymore you're going to be catching men essentially you're fishing for men 
And I just thought that that was that really spoke to me personally because it's like if I really want to know who I am and what I'm doing, I really need to uh, try to understand who he is. And so kind of like us even just reading the story and trying to understand who Jesus is, is in itself going to maybe challenge some of the views that you have of yourself that like hold you back from doing what you're called to do, whatever your vocation is. Yeah. So yeah, that, that transformation. So that for me was, I could just have that <laughs> for this week. But yeah, that's that was like my main thing with that part. That's that was that was really cool to me. Um, but then effective. there's other things that happen in chapter five, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he continues to show his kindness and his his miracles. He heals um, a few individuals with leprosy, a paralyzed man, and he's. I believe he starts like just talking the talk and walking the walk of what he's saying he's here to do um, through through those encounters with the the people who need it the most you know people who yeah. are sick or people who like with leprosy they were cast out to like an area where there were with other people with leprosy where people wouldn't go to be around them and Jesus did he went there and he he talked with them he treated them like actual human beings and I'm sure just to be there and see someone that doesn't have leprosy come towards you may have been another a whole nother uh, <laughs> feeling, but then to actually be healed. I mean, I can only imagine just the appreciation they must've felt and going back to the whole, like you're saying the theme of Christmas, like just putting yourself in people's shoes who may need help. Um, and you being there to be that light in their life. Uh, Jesus showed us through these kinds of stories where he would go and help those who needed it the most. Yeah, you have the leper, you have the paralytic, and then the tax collector. Yeah. All people who were not uh, acceptable. <laughs> yeah, just so worthy, worthy enough. Oh, let's see. Um, so yeah, then going to chapter six here. Uh, I just thought it was funny <laughs> um, because, you know, he has these 12, these 12 guys and speaking of people who didn't feel like they were worthy, like you have a whole bunch of individuals who feel like they're not worthy thrown into a pot together. And I don't think they're meant to like necessarily like each other mm. because they're so come from such different backgrounds. And I, I one was a fisherman, a tax collector, and then there was like a Roman rebel. I believe another one was like a Roman rebel. Mm. The zealot. <laughs> so, was that him? Simon. <laughs> Simon, who was called the zealot. It was the zealot. Yes, that was Simon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, funny thing is Simon being a zealot um, would have really had something against um, Levi or the tax collector. Mm -hmm. like, um, 
So there's two Simons, I guess. So Simon, who named Peter, and then Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, and then Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and then Simon, who was called the Zealot, mm-hmm. and then Judas. Judas. So we know Matthew and Levi are sometimes interchanged. Regardless, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Matthew is a tax collector that becomes a disciple. Mm-hmm. So Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter, the other Simon would have really hated um, the tax collector's guts. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they saw him as like oppressive. They're like supporting a Roman, like oppression of our people. Like we need to get rid of these people. Like, yeah. Oh, no, for sure. And, yeah. and then, um, yeah, the, the main theme that G- I believe Jesus was trying to show them was none of that's going to matter when you go into God's kingdom because we're all going to live in unity. So that was, it was like a really good example of people to like work through these feelings together for a bigger purpose, <laughs> for a bigger purpose. And then he even says in um, Luke six, verse 20, cause he, let's see. Yeah. They're all having this, like these, t- these tiffies with each other. And he looks, <laughs> looks at his disciples and he says, blessed, are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in the day that leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. And he goes on, goes on to say like, woe to who are rich but for you have already received your comfort but and woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry kind of the opposite um woe to you who laugh now because you will mourn and weep um woe to when everyone speaks well of you for that is how the ancestors treated false prophets so it kind of like puts it in perspective for them <laughs> like this is what so it's going to happen yeah, yeah. I feel like he gives them a, a list of um, blessings followed by a, bliss, uh, a list of woes or curses, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Um, this does recall or echo something that uh, Moses did with the people where there was a list of blessings that he spoke over the people before he died and a list of curses, like blessed are you or cursed are you for this. Um, so that's, I guess, one layer historically. The other layer that I see here is he's writing this to possibly a Roman official, uh, Theophilus, whether he's a Roman official or maybe like mm. a government that's official, right. I don't know. In the first chapter. Yeah, he's likely pretty well off, I would say, compared to the disciples and people that Jesus hung out with. Yeah. So... I wonder how he read that and how what he thought as he's reading this, like, woe to you who are full now, you shall later be hungry. And woe to you who are rich for you have already received your consolation. Um, that was I wonder like major if... shade. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was like probably major shade towards him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a minute. But it... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could take it as like a shade or also, is there something deeper 
or is there some is there some uh secret to the meaning of life that jesus is actually cluing us into here because life for many of us is about like how do i become rich how do i become financially stable how do i become wealthy so i don't have to worry about these things um you know how do i how do i enjoy life to its fullest how do i make sure i take care of me in terms of like having enough or having more than enough so i don't have to worry about like next year or 10 years down the road or that my kids have an inheritance or something like that we normally think like oh if we've lived a good life you should be able to show it in terms of wealth and i'm not saying that that's wrong i'm just saying if that's the meaning of life for a lot of us jesus's message is actually there's more to life than that because all of that stuff even though it helps you it is temporary in the end mm-hmm. like you can have it all right now and you can lose it all tomorrow there's no guarantees yeah. and um so it's like don't make those things your consolation or don't make those things like your security which is why he says well to you well to those who are rich for you have already received your consolation like it's it can be a hard thing to hear for a lot of us even to me cuz it's like wait what a wait a minute like that's like i spent most of my day trying to like make a living i spent like i'm trying to like go to school to get a a good career or a job and it's like isn't that the point of all this and you're saying actually it's not actually it's to like actually turn yourself towards the other person like mm-hmm there's this community idea of like people should be valued um over things and he shows us that by talking and speaking and touching someone with leprosy uh someone who's a paralytic someone who's a tax collector and calling him to be a disciple and now it's like this is kind of like the how do i say it this is the theory <laughs> this is the talk of like the walk that he just did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then he goes into loving your enemies, which is also like what are you talking about? <laughs> uh you know, love your enemies like that's that's Must crazy. Have been a hard concept for them. Like cuz I feel like I heard that, you know, in my past and it's something I try to put into practice, but I feel like this may have been the first time they would have heard something spoken in in such in this way because mm. Jesus came with that message and they are just meeting him and getting to know who he is and to hear something like that I I feel like they it was like what's those things called um like something they couldn't wrap their head around yeah <laughs> oh like a like a puzzle like a like yeah. a riddle <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking like a riddle to them like what what do you mean how do we even begin to do that <laughs> <laughs> but he shows them he shows them through 
through his works. And I think that that's what made him a really good teacher is he modeled the behavior he wanted them to follow. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's something I struggle with still loving my enemies, not judging others. Being abnormally, strangely kind. (laughs) (laughs) Like not a pushover because Jesus is very straightforward with the truth, but also like not seeking to damage people simply just because he was angry at them. Yeah. Uh, There was usually like a deeper like thing that he was either fighting for or trying to get them to see. Um, so yeah, he goes through that, um, ending with build your house on the rock, um, basically, you know, listen uh, to my teachings, try to build your life on these things and you will be wise to do that. Um, and then we have a series of, uh, miracles again. Yes. Yeah. Um, he heals. So as a centurion yes you know the centurion's servant remind me aren't they some type of soldier yeah so a centurion um would be someone who's in charge of at least a hundred soldiers okay so he's like up there in rank it's a high-ranking military official okay and would this be the same, would it be the same like high ranking official that was at the crucifixion or is that? It could. Mm, Not the n- same individual, but like. Same, same type of rank. Um, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I would, I don't remember for sure if it was a centurion or just a Roman soldier that okay. was at the crucifixion. Um. Let me see. No, you're right. It was a centurion. Okay. That I when I was reading that, I was like, so I wonder if he knew going, and he probably did, because Jesus knew quite a lot going into helping these people, someone who would be there practically leading his crucifixion, you know, having the troops to rally him through, and he's he's helping them like that just blows my mind like again I know we're not on the same like level (laughs) but just to put myself in his shoes that that just stood out that just stood out like a lot that someone like this man Mm -hmm. would be overseeing his own crucifixion Mm -hmm. yeah and I, I think that's what's striking about this that Jesus um kind of crosses that line and heals someone that isn't just like sick or um not liked but still jew Mm -hmm. and now he moves to someone who is actually not of his own people and in fact it's he's like a symbol of (laughs) this 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 i guess occupation the roman occupation that they absolutely don't like Mm -hmm. that they think or it's very possible they thought when the messiah arrived he would set them free from them but jesus instead of like 
kicking them out or like organizing a revolution decides oh, i'm going to heal this heal. guy's servant yeah <laughs> so it's crazy to think yeah and and uh and it's striking because that because the the centurion says you know heal my servant whatever and jesus says okay you know like i'll go over there and the centurion's like no no no, no. you don't need to come to my house like you know i i'm also a man who has people under authority i know that you just have to give the word and it'll be done and then jesus like commends him for that he says uh not even in israel have i found such faith like yeah. i haven't found this kind of faith in my own people but i found it in a centurion um yeah that's a big deal it is it's almost offensive honestly how <laughs> well if i'm a disciple i'm like I, I hate these guys like they don't believe in the same god as we do they don't have the same religion like they oppress us they tax us like we're trying to get rid of them like they're annoying we're waiting for them to set us free from you guys and then here, here he comes and Jesus, you decide you're going to heal him. And not only do you heal the, his servant, then you like say, I haven't found this kind of faith in any of my people lumping They're all right of his there. people together. <laughs> like I haven't even seen this kind of faith, even in my own disciples. I see it in this man. It's like, mm, yeah, bro. <laughs> They're like, we're right here, Jesus. Like, <laughs> we got some work to do, I guess. I would think they would. Yeah, I would have been like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, I didn't even think of it like that when I was reading it. So that's really interesting. Like, yeah, they were, they were probably going through like the works anyways, like of reforming their identities. But that's, that would have been like a little bit like a, to my heart. <laughs> It's like, he, it's like he, Jesus talks to talk and you're like, oh yeah, that sounds very nice. Like I could do that. Yeah, that's hard. But like, you know, I think it's for the, you know, the general good of everybody. And like, that's good news and stuff. And then, then Jesus starts doing it. And then it's like a slap in the face, like every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. So they're honestly like, and then I think this is why some of them doubt, like, maybe he's not maybe he's not the messiah like we thought he was because mm -hmm. he wouldn't be doing these things true i know i know later on we we come to a story where there's three particular disciples that all doubt goes out of their minds but that's that's in a couple chapters um let's see that was so that was chapter seven um let's see he also this is also where the story where the woman um, comes and, and cleans his feet with her tears. Uh. Yeah, that story. And he he mentions that, um, let's see, he says it best. Uh, if two people owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed 500 dinar and the other 50, and neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both, now which will love him more. Mm. um and they say let's see wasn't it the one like if you had like just 50 like if you had just like one denarii and you gave it like that was you giving everything you had so i, I think you're thinking two different stories am i okay yeah 
No, I, I think you're I so essentially the idea is like let's say you owe someone, I don't know, a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And another person owes that same person like ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And then the person who lent that money to you says, you know what, whatever, out of the spirit of Christmas, like I'm cleaning your debts. Like, don't even worry about it. You don't have to pay anything back. Like, who would be most grateful? Mm, probably the one who owed more. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's that's the that's, that's the idea good. there. Like, yeah. Um the the nari of like the person who gave it and gave all that is a story later on in Luke mm-hmm. where uh Jesus is at the temple and they're watching people give their gifts to the temple and a woman gives one denarii or denarius yes you're right yeah that was a different one because this one um yeah later later in the chapter it it talks about uh the the woman who was who came and she used her tears for his feet but he wasn't even offered perfume or was he from the let me see the pharisee he says yeah you did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment like you gave me no kiss but from the time i came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet yeah so like he just and that's where he was anointed by a sinful woman right so you get the idea that this woman had like he had a previous like encounter with Jesus at some point mm-hmm. because he's like, she's been forgiven much. Like she's been forgiven for much. And this is why she's acting this way. Like it's out of appreciation and a gratitude. That's just like, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm like really grateful that, that I've, I've been, I've received forgiveness for whatever I've done. We don't, we're not told what she had done or what sin she had dealt with, but we get the sense that Jesus had forgiven her for it. And it's a huge deal to her. So in an act of like gratitude, she kind of scandalizes everyone. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) we're really uncomfortable with whatever she's doing. Like, that's not cool. It's not socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like, tell her to go away or like compose herself because it's not cool and he's like well that's when he tells a parable like she's actually been forgiven a lot and ever since i came in you didn't even give me water to wash my feet but she's been essentially she's been doing all the things that you should be doing just to be a good host mm-hmm. and you haven't um so don't criticize her for for something for that you wouldn't you wouldn't even do yeah yeah cool but yeah it's it's a it's a striking story and a lot of people say this is uh, mary magdalene there's what that was mary mad so mary magdalene is um a lot of people kind of attribute that this story to her Mm. uh which also connects her to mary and martha lazarus's sisters 
mm-hmm. and Mary, the first person to see Jesus uh, alive again. So she goes okay. to the tomb uh, and she finds it empty. Or no, she's at, yeah, she finds it empty and then she's crying in the garden. And then Jesus is like, why, what's going on? Like, why are you crying? And then she realizes it's him. Yeah. Oh, so she's so the first person to see Jesus. And they're saying this is the same. So typically. I'm not saying like it's specifically the same, but I'm just saying that it traditionally, this story has been like, oh, this is Mary. This mm. is the same one. Oh, okay. That's no, no, for sure. That's not what it says. But traditionally in Christian circles, we think of Mary. This story is attributed to Mary Magdalene, even though the, the actual story in Luke doesn't actually say it was her. Yeah, it doesn't give, it doesn't give her a name. There's no, uh, there's no names. Hmm. That's a good little thought there that it may be like a little different perspective uh yeah jesus says a lot of parables i've uh i've had to reread them and and take it in uh when when reading through the story of luke um especially this one with the sower (laughs) i know Mm. the main theme of this parable is that uh the seed is the word of god Mm. that part he made clear um but I personally had to reread it a few times to kind of, but that's what he wants you to do. Cause if you read this parable, it it's, it's almost like, again, like a riddle a metaphor. Um, and then he even says, let's see. Verse eight. Is it okay? A little bit into verse eight. Uh, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear the knowledge of, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that through seeing they may not see and through hearing they may not understand. <laughs> so I'm like, what? <laughs> How do I, like, what does that even mean? Do you want us to understand or do you like not want us to understand, right? Yeah. I, I, again, like being there in the disciples' shoes, like I don't know if they were being around him, they picked stuff up quicker you know or if it was just like question mark after question mark because i would have to like sit and let that stew for a minute (laughs) before but i think that's what he wants too because it it brings you into his word deeper and like you have to you have to think about it here's something to think here's something to think about it's something that i think about very often is I can speak something and be as specific and as clear as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And the other person listening is going to hear through a filter of what they already think. Mm-hmm. Like whatever bias they already have that may, they might not even be aware of that is filtering. It's like, it's like when you wear sunglasses, like a colored lens or something you see or you understand that person through that lens Mm -hmm. and so there could be things that i might say that might be like that you might take as like you might react to it based on maybe something you heard on the news or like your political inclination or your like your background your culture your language whatever it is 
that is going to kind of color whatever I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of Jesus' like, have ears to hear. Uh, <laughs> um, like I speak, like I speak to you in parables so that though hearing, you don't understand, no seeing or do, right? Like, even though it's in front of your face, you're not going to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was just a smart dude. (laughs) (laughs) So you know that going in, you know? (laughs) But the the point of it is, he says, um, you know, so it's, it's really short, right? He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it or they ate it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Um, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let me hear. And then the disciples um, asked him well, what this parable meant. Um, and so then he tells them you know to you it's been known like it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of god but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand and then he says you know the seed is the word of god and then he goes on to explain how essentially he's speaking the word of god but it really the person depending on like kind of their their situation or the things that they find important in life um depending on that 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 determines whether this the word of god is actually productive in their lives um and i used to read this and like have a little panic attack because i'd be like well what soil am i like am i the rock like or am i in like thorns (laughs) like am i in the path that's gonna get eaten by birds like what kind of soil am i and almost feeling like you can only be one type of soil. But I also come to realize like, well, maybe it's more like, depending on what is in my heart, that that will determine whether God's word grows. So if like, I'm worried about like all the things that I gotta be take care of all the time, I'm constantly anxious about things. That's like the thorns and it will choke it out um and and like you know those are on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it and they're super excited and they're like really impulsive about it like yeah this is awesome but they don't have a root which means they don't really dig in deep and so any challenge will come and just kind of dry them out or blow them away like you have nothing to hold on to you so it could be like people that get really excited about all the good things that could happen if they follow jesus but as soon as something challenging happens they're like well forget that <laughs> you know so yeah. it's really like it's really more of an attitude rather than like oh like i was born this way i'm in the rocks and like that's just who i am it's mm-hmm. something that can change and fluctuate I like that you posed it in a question for like, what kind of soil am I? Because then it turns it to like, it faces the mirror on yourself. Like, what can I do? Or where am I in this? What can I work on? Where am I now? Like, and 
gives you that opportunity to evaluate and, you know, make that change if you need to, or figure out where you're at even. Yeah. I I like that. I wrote that down. What kind of soil am I? Because Yeah. That's a great question. That is a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question to ask yourself and then go from there. And yeah, definitely planting the seed. I hear that a lot, you know, planting the seed of God, like in your, in your mind and letting it grow. But then you have to, you have to take into account, like, where are you though in that moment? Is it just like, you know, gonna, is it going to just blow away with the wind, get eaten by a bird? Like, you don't know. Let's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, let's work on this. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's like anything, like you might decide, like you want to start a business, you know, but like, where are your priorities at? Are you more worried about, you know, handling other things in your life? If other things are more pri- top priority, not that it's in this case, it's a bad thing, but those priorities are eventually going to choke out your motivation to do it. Yeah. And I'm not saying it has to be starting a business. It could be anything, honestly. But here specifically, it's talking about God's word. Yeah. As he's speaking and teaching these things, you're going to take it in and you might like, you might find it interesting or you might find it something that produces a joy in you but at the end of the day it's where your priorities are at that is going to determine whether or not that seed grows yeah yeah so that's i think that's really important yes yes something to be mindful of i mean i feel like chapter eight that i mean that was a really that was a mouthful <laughs> That's a lot to think about. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Let me point you um, to the very beginning of chapter eight. Okay. Because I think this is interesting that Luke does. Um, so this is after the whole story with the woman uh, hmm. that anoints his feet and all that stuff. Um, it says, uh, verse one, chapter eight says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, the 12 disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. There she is. There she is. But there's, there's something else that is specifically stated here is that women were amongst the disciples they were not considered like the 12 but jesus's mission and the disciples following them were specifically financed by these women so when you say financed do you mean like they they took care of things like financially or they, like different like emotionally it says so it mentions you know uh mary and joanna so let's just go down the list so mary magdalene was the one who had been healed and joanna was the wife of chusa which is herod's household manager herod was like a the, they called him the tetrarch or he was the king of a region so mm. when jesus was born it was king herod who was the main guy he had he had uh few sons and they divided the kingdom amongst the sons so this herod is herod I, i'm gonna just use this <laughs> it's like herod jr okay 
mm-hmm. but he's a king. Um, he's actually the guy who uh, imprisons John the Baptist. Oh, I remember reading something like that. Right. So interestingly, yeah. Susanna is his manager's wife. Okay. So That's like an interesting little triangle circle thing going on. There. Right. So there's like an interesting connection there where I'm pretty sure he was paid really well to manage Herod's household. Mm-hmm. So this is someone who has who has some means uh money. Um so it mentions Joanna, um, then it mentions Susanna and many others who provided for them um, or provided for Jesus or provided for the group entirely out of their means. Out of their own means. I see that. I see that. I did not pick that up when I read the first time. So, yeah, I just I just like to point that out because like I said at the very beginning, Luke makes sure to mention women women's roles throughout the gospel mm-hmm. um and the roles that they're playing are kind of countercultural at that time at that time yeah. and even possibly now is countercultural because i mean it's just the women are the ones that are paying the bills mm-hmm. for jesus's ministry that is you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, there's a recognition there that that the funny thing is that they're not recognized as disciples. Mm-hmm. Although, this, if you really look at the story, there are arguments for some of these women actually being disciples, just mm-hmm. like not spoken of as disciples because maybe there had never been female disciples. Yeah, and Jesus treated some of them essentially like disciples. That's that's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, that's. I always like to point that out, also because I think in religious circles, it's very easy for people to think of like the men are like the spiritual caretakers of everything, and women are more like are not as. Uh, likely to to want to take on roles of like being involved uh, or even teaching or any of that stuff. Um, but I'm like, clearly they were there with Jesus. And clearly they not, not only just there, they actually made it possible for Jesus to do his work. Yeah. No, so, that's a big, that's a big thing they were doing, especially to support financially. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, like how they would go about the, all these little adventures of theirs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, who's like, paying the bills? Like, who's feeding you? Yeah. Like, how are you? Yeah, someone's paying bill, and these are the people that are doing it. And, and frankly, it's funny that you know Herod's manager's wife is actually one of the ones who's paying or supporting Jesus' ministry. The same person who puts John in jail. Uh huh. Is that yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Woo, light bulbs going off everywhere. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Well, so there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing about talking about it. You pick up different perspectives that you didn't get the first time, or 
different like point of views and like I'm really glad that you you pointed that out because I feel like a lot of people would like to hear something like that like oh yeah there were women walking with Jesus and yeah they weren't pointing out as disciples but possibly were you know at the same time so <laughs> that's I think it, it gives a, a broader perspective yeah it's like what people hear all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely um so yeah that's that's something big in chapter eight and then there's the jesus calming a storm yeah that story where we've we've covered in our group talking about the book of matthew mm -hmm. but yeah that's that story where jesus calms the storm when they're sinking but he's asleep on the boat yeah he essentially like controls the weather right <laughs> like, wakes up and he's like why are you guys freaking out i'm here with you and and then they're like who 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 is this that even the winds and water obey him yeah another like event that just must have blown their minds like and he's over here just chill you know with his with his ducking out glasses <laughs> that he took from well, it, it's funny because like in a lot of moments they're like oh yeah jesus you, you he's divine like for sure but then mm -hmm. Jesus actually starts walking the talk, like we talked about earlier. And then it's like, it's not what they expect. So then they start kind of doubting him. And mm -hmm. here they're like, what, what you, you sense that they don't fully believe that he's a Messiah, mm -hmm. but there's also like this, like, well, he's something because there's something else going on here because yeah, he's performing miracles. Yeah. Um, so that happens and he heals a man with a demon as soon as we get to the other side of the lake mm -hmm. um, whose name is uh, he calls himself Legion because there's many demons in him. Um, then we have those pigs that are running around. <laughs> I just it's it was kind of funny to me that the demons were like so scared that they were like please don't banish, banish us to nothingness so he takes I don't know, pity? I don't know what emotion, but puts them into pigs and they go off and they die anyways. <laughs> I don't know, it's just like a funny ending to that. <laughs> did you, did you see did that see coming? That? There's a cartoon of like Jesus being born and like all the animals that were at his birth and like saying like, oh, I'm gonna, in fact, I think I posted in our Discord and our memes. Uh, where is it? It said, in fact, I'm going to do this. So the camel says, I will bear him gifts. The donkey says, I will carry him. The fish says, I will pay his taxes. There's <laughs> a, I think it's a cow. He says, I will quench his thirst. Mm -hmm. A bird, I will bless his baptism. Sheep says, I will, I will warm him. Uh, chicken says, I will feed him. And the pig says, I will let him fill me with demons and I'll jump off a cliff and wait, what? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have got that the first time around, but now that we like went through and read it and talked about it, that's definitely a lot funnier. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so, wait, what? So wait, there's what? actually, and I'm sorry, like this is kind of going long. I know. But. 
It's good stuff. There's a there's a there's a possible explanation for the story. Um, so Jesus calms the storm, darkness, all of that. Um, he tames the chaos. There's like this idea of like how God creates order out of chaos in the very beginning simply by speaking a word. He hovers his spirit hovers above the chaos of like waters and just a mess in Genesis chapter one. And here Jesus, you know, speaks and the weather essentially listens to him and just calms down. The chaos is gone. And then when they reach the other side, they're at the country of the Gerasenes, which is a, um, they're not uh, of the same people. So they would consider them Gentiles or foreigners, essentially. They're in a different place in the opposite side of Galilee. Uh, Jesus steps out on the land there uh, and there met a man from the city who had demons, uh, who didn't wear any clothes for a long time. He didn't wear any clothes. He had not lived in a house, but he lived among the tombs. So he's like some naked dude, like demons. He lives in like a graveyard. Like he lives like in a cemetery, a really scary one. Um, so we get the image of darkness, demon possession, dude just running around crazy in like tombs and stuff. So everything about this story is just like darkness and un- unclean. Like mm-hmm. to a, a Jewish person, this like in that time, to even to Jesus, this has been like off limits. You don't go around dead stuff demons darkness foreign people and then on top of that pigs pigs are just they were considered like unclean so so you know when the demons are like send us into the pigs you says you know okay you'll go into the pigs whatever and then all of this does pigs die obviously someone owns the pigs and they're like upset yeah so jesus has to leave that place so it's kind of a weird story, but um, there was a historian um, that lived shortly after the time of Jesus named Josephus. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but Josephus wrote a lot of Jewish history um, shortly, I want to say a few decades after Jesus's life. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells a story of this particular town um, which had been taken over uh, by the Roman uh, army Um, so they would come in take over towns and basically they would become colonies they would colonize them one thing that has been pointed out is that pigs were usually associated with colonies uh, that Roman soldiers had taken over because the Romans love to eat pig or pork. Um, I guess just raising pigs is difficult because I don't know, they take up a lot of the resources or whatever. So they they weren't normally raised in these areas, but when the Roman soldiers came in, they would bring pigs. In fact, even their shields had like pigs on them like boars and pigs, Roman shields. Um, So that simply them being there 
they would have forced the people to raise pigs to feed them. Hmm, so that, that could be something that's happening. Josephus tells a story of this particular town of how it was taken over. And all of the young men or the men tried to fight back. And the Roman army um, essentially pushed all of them into um, the river or the water or the lake. I guess the river that empties into the lake. And they pushed them and they drowned them. Like they at like sword point during the battle, instead of like actually killing everybody with a sword, they just like pushed, 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 pushed until they were in the water and eventually like they all drowned. And that's how they took over that town. That's so it's hard. interesting that Jesus, when he comes in, we get this, this idea or this feeling that this town is possessed. It's not just the man. This yeah. man is possessed. And when he asks his name, he gives a Roman military name, a legion, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, a thousand soldiers. Yeah. And when he takes him out of it, like he frees this man from this possession, these demons go in with these pigs and then the pigs run into the water and die mm. by drowning. There's that parallel. So there's a parallel of like the people, the men of this town died because a Roman legion quite possibly pushed them into the water and they drowned and they took over. And now they've been in possession of this town. Jesus simply steps off the boat onto the shore. And the first thing he does is he releases this man from the oppression of legion. Mm -hmm. And pigs, which would have been there to feed Roman soldiers or the colony, are thrown into the water and drowned. So it has like these layers of like meaning yeah. that go like someone that might have been reading this when it was first written, they would have been like, oh, that is a. Uh, that is quite uncanny that Jesus did that and that this demon's name was a Roman, like mm -hmm. a Roman military name. And that when he cast them out, all the pigs that were there to feed the Roman soldiers threw themselves into the water and drowned. Like, yeah. it's like some form of reversing what had happened. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That's that's pretty cool and there's so much like history in this little paragraph <laughs> that I would I didn't know of so again thank you for like just having that knowledge and like being able to talk on that because it's just it's really interesting like to get more insight like that it makes it makes you want to like dig around more and be like mm, what else is going on in these little chapters over here so that's <laughs> pretty tight yeah yeah there's 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 a lot there's a lot there all right thanks alica yeah no problem Hope you have a good night and i will end this right now thank you adios